this morning. I'm going to start a new series of messages that I'm really excited about that we're going to call Walking Through the Gospel of John. We're going to take a walk. We're going to take a trip through this wonderful gospel. And as we walk through John's gospel in the weeks and the months ahead, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would ignite a new, fresh love in our hearts for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we want to fall ever in love with. That's who we ever want to know and ever want to see. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And as we walk through John's gospel, we're going to see Jesus in His glory. We're going to see Jesus, Jesus walk into people's lives and change them and transform them. But we're not just going to look at a Jesus written about in history. We're going to see a living Jesus who is ready to do the same today as He did back then, because He doesn't change. He's always, always the same. Yesterday, as I was preparing and thinking about this whole series of walking through John's gospel, my mind went back to times where we have gone on holidays as a family, or we visited a place for a day trip. And when we go on holidays or when we go on a day trip, Faye will usually book us on a walking tour. She's brilliant at doing it. She looks and scours the internet to find the walking tour that's walking around the city or the place that we're going to visit, and we, we hook up with a guide, and off we go on the tour around the city. And these tours are incredible because they take you to all of the places that you would have otherwise missed. The guide has an expertise. The guide has inside knowledge. The guide knows all of the history about the city or the place that you're visiting. And he shows you all of the nooks and the crannies and all of the details that would otherwise be hidden as you tour the city or the place. We've taken tours in Berlin, tours in London, tours in Edinburgh. We've taken tours in Liverpool. We saw the street where the Beatles used to walk down and the club that they used to sing in. Anybody know the club? The Cavern. We saw it. We passed it. The guide showed us what we would have not seen or otherwise missed if we wasn't on that particular tour. We've done tours everywhere. Recently, when we went to New York, our trip was filled. I mean filled with tours. I'd be sleeping, recovering from jet lag. My God, Faye would be up like this. And I tell you, she was almost jumping out of her body with excitement. She hasn't even heard of jet lag. She was just like that. I'm like still waking up, rubbing the sleep from my eyes. 
Faye is home. She's got a wad and a file in her hand. I kid you not. Am I telling the truth? A file. A lever arch file. A detailed description of probably at least, if not every minute, certainly every hour of what was going to take place in that tour of New York. And my goodness me, I thought I was fit because I, 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 I enjoy my bike. I thought I was fit. My goodness me, when she has got, when she's excited about a city and she wants to see it, she, I couldn't keep up with her. Do you know what? After the second day, I had a blister about that size on the bottom of my foot, and I was like this. Wasn't I, Faye? I could hardly walk. And she was like, <laughs> Faye! <laughs> Hold on! Well, went back to the... I limped, actually. I limped. I kid you not. I limped back to the hotel, and she went on the internet... Because we had to find out, this is the second day in, we had another five days. She had to find out what would cure the blister. I mean, we can't, we can't stop because of a stupid blister on my foot. She said, I know what will do it. We just got to burst the blister. I said, what? <laughs> she said, burst the blister on the internet. Google says it will relieve your pain. Well, we, out, we had got a pin, popped the blister, and fantastic. And we prayed put a couple of plasters on it, and I wore, I think I wore four pairs of socks, right? Honestly, four pairs of socks to alleviate the pain, jumped in my shoes, and off we went. And we, we finished, I think we finished the whole list that was in the Lever Arch file phase virtually. It was amazing. But on that trip, we went on numerous. I've lost count how many walking tours we went on. And we saw, we saw New York in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise seen it because we were led by the guides to all of the different various places around that city. I've often thought, maybe I could do a walking tour. I could guide people around Pontypool. Would any of you like a walking tour in Pontypool? We could, I, I was just thinking about it yesterday. You know, we could pop down to Greg's and have a Cornish pasty or sausage roll. We could, we could pop into Poundland and get some bargains. We could see the horses parked in the precinct outside of the shops as people gallop through the town, and they do on their horses, and their motorbikes. We could see it all. Could come see the mountains where I ride my mountain bike. If you want to walk into Pontypool, we can arrange it. But walking tours are wonderful things because they show us all of the hidden details that we would otherwise have missed. And as we go through John's Gospel, it's going to be like a walking tour with John, the apostle, an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And as John leads us, he will show us the incredible lengths that Jesus went to 
when he reached out to people, when Jesus ministered to people, John is going to show us and reveal the lengths that Jesus went to, to give his life for others. But as we'll see, John's desire wasn't just to show us the places and the people that Jesus visited, or even what Jesus did. John's greatest and deepest desire in all that he wrote was to show us who Jesus was and still is. That's where we're going to start today as we read from John chapter 1. To hear John reveal who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the question that John the Apostle is going to answer right from the beginning of his gospel. Let's read together from John chapter 1. We're going to start from verse 1. This is John's description of Jesus Christ. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and of His fullness. We have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. John's answer to the incredible question of who Jesus is, is found here in what he's written in this opening chapter of his gospel. John wants everyone to know exactly who Jesus is. John wants everyone to know and understand that Jesus is the Word of God. He's the Word of God from the beginning. And that's what John tells us when he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, for us to understand a little more about what John is telling us about Jesus being the Word of God made flesh, let's think for a moment about words. Think about words for a moment. What is a word? How would we define or describe what they do. All of us, every day, use words. We use words, don't we? You've used them this morning. In this, in this place, we use words to speak and to communicate 
to others around us. But what's the purpose of a word? Why do we use them? And what do they represent? Well, we could say that a word is an audible expression of a thought. A word is an audible expression of a thought. It reveals something that's unknown. Or, on the other hand, if a word is written down, we could equally say that the written word is a visible expression of an invisible thought. So, the words that we use every day primarily do two things. Firstly, they can make the thoughts that we think audible and understandable when we speak them out, and also when we write words down. They become a visible expression of what we're thinking in written form. That's a simple explanation, a simple definition of what words are. Just imagine for a moment a world without words. Just imagine for a moment if you didn't have words to use. You wouldn't be able to hear or understand the thoughts that people want to express to you. Nor would you be able to express the thoughts and the feelings that you have for them. Words are wonderful things. And we need words because thoughts in and of themselves without words are incommunicable. And it's only when our thoughts become words that others can understand and know what we're thinking. I know it's simple. I know it's basic. But it's good to set it and understand it as we come this morning to understand what John is telling us about Jesus, the Word. We need words in order to understand what others are thinking. We need words in order for us to convey our thoughts and feelings to others. You're listening this morning to some of my thoughts. And you're able to listen because I'm able to express my thoughts through the words that I'm speaking. And hopefully, they have meaning. Hopefully, you're able to understand them as you listen to them. Now, God has created us in a world where words matter. Words matter. God has created us and brought us into this world where words matter because words matter to God. Words matter in our world. God has brought us into a world where words matter because words matter to God. He is the Word. That's what John tells us. And because He is the Word, every word matters to God. If God hadn't have spoken, think about this for a moment. Let's go with this thought. If God hadn't have spoken to us, 
We could never know Him. The Bible points out on several occasions. Who has known the mind of the Lord? That's a question that it, that it leads us to on several occasions. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And the answer is no one. No one has known the mind of the Lord. Nobody knows what the mind of the Lord is until, until He reveals it through His spoken word. And thank God, He has spoken it through His revealed word, Jesus. And we do now know what the mind of the Lord is, but if we did not have His word, if we did not have His word, we would never know what the mind of the Lord is is. Because just like us, God uses words to express and reveal who He is to us. That's what John, the apostle, is telling us about Jesus as he opens this wonderful, glorious gospel that he wrote, that Jesus is both the audible and visible expression of God for everyone. If you want to know God, you can through Jesus Christ, the Word. God's not an angry dictator that's enraged and struggling to hold back impulsive, red-hot emotion, ready to unleash it on any passerby to explode at any given moment. God's not an angry dictator, not at all, because Jesus, the Word made flesh, has revealed God, and from that revelation, we see that Jesus, as John said, was full of glory, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the open revelation of God. Jesus is the final, closed revelation of who God is. He's the complete revelation of God made known to us. Words are so important. Words are so important because words are at work in our lives, in all of our lives, all day long, every day. They have power to shape and influence who we are continually. If the living Word of God is received and believed, we experience endless life and blessing. In John, as we will see in weeks to come, John said, remarked what Jesus had previously said to him when he said, I have the words of eternal life. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Words can shape us. Words can form us. Words can create our world in which we live. We can experience endless blessing from the very Word of God as we receive it. But equally, equally, other words outside of God's Word that we may hear or have heard that are not from God, 
can inflict the greatest and the deepest pain in our lives. Have you ever noticed that when things are going wonderfully right in your life, or terribly wrong, every time without fail, there will be words at work. Proverbs tells us, the power of life and death is in the tongue and from the words that come out of it. And King David shows us in Psalm 64 that words can be like the deadliest weapons used on a battlefield as he tells us about the great harm that words can do and how people can use them to bring harm. In Psalm 64, he says, They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. The picture that David paints here shows us clearly that the tongue can be like a sharp sword when drawn. It can wound. It can inflict pain. Or it can rain down like arrows fired at you, aimed with accuracy. Like an archer, David pictures in his mind, like an archer. People can bend their bows with all of their strength and take aim and fire at you, wounding words. Words that inflict pain and damage your life. I'm saying this this morning because the Holy Spirit brought to my spirit that very psalm this week. Psalm 64. Maybe this morning you're here and you have been wounded by the words of others. Maybe through life you felt that drawn sword of somebody's tongue come at your life and lacerate your life carelessly and stab you with its edge. Or maybe some of you this morning have felt that tirade of arrows come down on your life like, like sharp arrows piercing your soul, piercing your mind, piercing your emotions, causing pain and festering wounds. Maybe you're here this morning and your heart is heavy, your soul is heavy because of the words that have been spoken like a sword, because of the words that have come like an arrow through your armor to pierce your life. Well, if that's you today and you've been wounded by others, the Holy Spirit wants you to know He knows. He knows. The Holy Spirit wants you to know He was there when they drew their sword. The Holy Spirit wants you to know He was there when they bent their bow and fired that tirade of careless word over your life. He was there, and He knows, but He also wants you to know today 
because he's going to bring closure. He's bringing closure on this today for some of us. He wants you to know that he, just like Jesus said in John's gospel, and we'll get to it in a couple of months maybe. Like Jesus said, he is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. He is the guide that leads. He is the comforter that ministers. He is the one that brings you into all truth. And just like Jesus declared, which John the Apostle picks up on in his gospel, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That stab of the sword, that tirade of arrows that, that came into your soul and wounded you is not the truth. It is not the truth. The truth will set you free and you will receive it and be liberated into fullness and abundant life just like Jesus has promised. Praise God. Truth, truth sets us free. Unlike the words of man that hurt us sometimes and harm us, it's the living Word of God that heals us. David points this out in Psalm 107 by saying this to us, that God sends His Word to heal us. Psalm 117, uh, Psalm 107, sorry, starting at verse 19, David says this, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of all their distress. He didn't ignore them. He didn't see their cry as trivial. He responded to them. When you cry out to God in your trouble, in your distress, over the words of pain that have inflicted hurt on you, he responds to that cry. He doesn't belittle it. He doesn't reject it. He receives it, and He responds to it. And you've been crying out to God, some of you, for a long time over the words of pain that have inflicted your soul. And God is saying, today, I'm bringing closure on it. I'm sending my Word to heal you. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. I'll tell you how you're going to be left after encountering the fresh Word, living Word of God in your soul. You're going to be left declaring the wonderful works of God in your life. Man's words may hurt us, but God's Word heals us. And if we receive Jesus, this is what John is telling us, if we receive Jesus as the Word of God in our lives through the audible expression of what He said and what He says to us, and in the visible written expression of the Scriptures, our lives will be transformed. Now, for a moment, let's again come back to John chapter 1. Because in John's day, the prevalent message of Greek philosophy was that there was 
an unidentifiable, impersonable force in the universe that had, si that had assigned reason for everything in existence. Trust man to make it up. Trust man to mess it up. An unidentifiable, and these were educated people, philosophers, an unidentifiable, impersonable force has created everything and has given reason for existence. They call this unidentifiable force the Word or the Logos. Well, they got that bit right. It's the Word. It's the Logos that's created all things. It's the Word, it's the Logos that has given reason and purpose to everything that's been created. But this Word, this Logos, is unidentifiable. This Word, this Logos, is impersonable. We can never know the Logos. We can just see and feel the effects of the Logos Word all around us. The Greeks believed that the Logos kept the stars in their courses and the planets on their appointed tracks. They said that this impersonable word was behind the succession of night and day. This, un un this unidentifiable force set the seasons of summer, autumn, winter, and spring. The Logos was the reason behind the universe and everything that had been created. Greek philosophers would look at a fish swimming in water and conclude that the fish, as it swam in the water, was one with its purpose because the Logos had created it to exist in its watery surrounds. But if the fish was ever taken out of the water and separated from its reason and meaning, chaos and disorder would ensue. If you've ever seen a fish out of water, it's a chaotic sight as it bounces and jumps on the bank, gasping for air, painfully writhing, wanting to get back into the environment that it has been created for. They saw the Logos as the reason. They saw the Logos as the meaning behind everything, but this Logos was impersonable. This Logos was unidentifiable. They looked at the bird that flew in the air, and they reasoned that the bird as it flew in the air, was one with its purpose, one with its reason whilst it flew, because it was expressing what it had been created for, given by the Logos word. But again, if the bird was ever removed out of the air, it would lose its purpose and have no meaning. I've seen lots of birds over my life with broken wings, dragging their bodies on the ground, 
It's a pitiful sight. It's a painful sight to see. Why? Because the bird wasn't created to drag its body on the ground. The bird was giving, given wings by the Logos, by the Word, to fly, to soar, to enjoy the air and the sky above it. It was created to fly high in the sky. Greek philosophers looked at every element in creation and saw that it was in harmony with its reason, given by the Word, given by the Logos that was unidentifiable and impersonable. But there was one area of life in creation that baffled them, that they had no answers for, and that was mankind. They had no answer as to why man existed. They had no answer for the experience of human life. They saw mankind as detached from the Logos. Man, they said, was a contradiction at war with himself and with everyone outside of himself. They concluded that man was lost. Man had been abandoned by the Logos. Man had no purpose or meaning beyond his broken, fallen life experience. In fact, King Solomon, generations before any of the Greek philosophers came on the scene, studied the purpose of life. He explored all that life had to offer, from sexual pleasure and promiscuity in many relationships, to feasting on the finest foods. He pursued every type of learning through education to acquire and amass knowledge of all kinds. And as he did this, in an all-out attempt of trying to discover the reason for life and living, do you know what conclusion Solomon, that wise rich king, came to? Do you know what his conclusion was in relation to life and all of his, his, his experiences? He tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, meaningless, he says. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That, as you listen to it, as you ponder over it, as you meditate on it, is the agonizing realization of a man who is rich, of a king who is wise, who has lived all of his life spending years pursuing pleasure of every form under the sun. And he's left after all of his experiences, after all of the amassing of material things, he is left with the conclusion, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now Solomon, just to put our minds at ease, Solomon wasn't saying 
that having things in life are wrong. Solomon wasn't saying that things that bring us pleasure are bad. Because Paul, the apostle, tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, that God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know that God has richly provided all of the things in your life for your enjoyment? You don't have to look at them and, and you know, cry the words, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. No, God has richly provided everything for our enjoyment. But, but, if all we have in life is things, if all we have is a life filled with things, and we don't know the God who richly provides them for our enjoyment, our heart longing will never, ever be satisfied. And everything will be meaningless. Solomon longed for the Logos, just like the Greeks, but he couldn't find it as he pursued riches. He couldn't find it as he amassed all of his material goods. He couldn't find it in all of the various experiences that he explored. He couldn't find it in all of those things. But John in his gospel, reveals forever who our Logos is. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. In Him, John says, is the fullness of life. And when John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. He wrote it in Greek. to announce to all the philosophers of his time that unidentifiable, impersonal, impersonable force that you call the Logos has become flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the Word of God. He's your Logos. The very word that John uses for word in his description of Jesus, in his revelation of Jesus, is the very word that the Greek philosophers used to describe the Logos. John says, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. The Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's how John defines and describes and reveals who Jesus is. We're going to see in the weeks ahead, as we walk through John's gospel, people finding their true purpose and meaning of life again as they encounter the Logos. Things, experiences, events that they had immersed their life into had left them alone and abandoned, without hope and empty. But enter the Logos. Enter the reason. Enter the Word made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, and everything 
changes. John shows us that. John shows us how Jesus could never walk past a sick or a hurting world in need of life without changing it, without giving it meaning, and without restoring it to its true purpose. It's exciting to see the Lord Jesus through the eyes of a witness that walked with him. It's exciting to see the Lord Jesus through the eyes of a witness that heard him speak, that beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to finish in a few moments. That really was just a setting out of the scene. Just a little taste, really, of what we're going to see, later to see as we explore this wonderful gospel, John's gospel. I want to finish this morning just by recounting a testimony to you that Faye shared with me, actually, just earlier this week. And it's about a man called Will Wisby. And Will Wisby was a successful young estate agent living in London who fiercely opposed Christianity. He was skeptical of everything that was Christian. He was skeptical of the Bible. He was skeptical about God. But one Sunday, a friend invited him to a church service in Holy Trinity Brompton in London. And as you may know, Holy Trinity Brompton is led and pastored by Nicky Gumbel, an incredible man. They wrote the course Alpha. It's gone all over the world. God's done incredible things in, in that church. An unusual, unusual work. Well, Will Wisby took up the invitation and went to Holy Trinity Brompton with his friend as he was invited that day. And during the service, somebody had a word of knowledge. The Word of God came suddenly through somebody that was there, and they spoke it out. And it went like this. There's a man here this morning who is expecting the delivery of a soft top sports car. He's expecting delivery of his new car in the next two days. He's worked hard all of his life so hard to achieve success. Work has been his life. He's got the car. He's got the house. He's got the lifestyle, but he's not happy inside. He's empty. And God wants him to know this morning that there's something more important to focus on. Subsequently, Will Wisby wrote, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. My new car was the nicest one I'd bought. It was arriving literally in two days, and I hadn't told anybody. How did they know? 
I was earning £100,000 a year. My work was my life. But that night, for the first time in my life, I really prayed. What happened that day in Will Wisby's life? Well, he connected and encountered with the Logos, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, through and by His Spirit. And Will Wisby responded to his call and later was filled with the Holy Spirit. Later he said, now I know that Jesus does exist and that He loves me, that He loves me. You see, to change our world, it can be but a word away when the Logos speaks it. Hallelujah. To change our world, to change our perspective, to change our direction, to change our empty heart can be but a word away when spoken by Jesus Christ. He loves me, he says. He loves me. Oh, to find the love of God through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits its right to enjoy the kingdom of God? Oh, the kingdom of God and all of the fullness that God would give us by His Spirit. It's greater than any experience that this world can offer. It's greater than any material gain than this world can give. Oh, what God has for His people. Jesus did not shed His blood on the cross, nor did He go into the depths of hell so that we could have a flimsy get-by life and a substandard experience through this world. Jesus died to make His church glorious. Jesus died and rose from the dead and is seated on high to make His church empowered by His Spirit to be a light, a great light of hope in this dark world. A city, He says, set on a hill. You are beautiful to God. You are the apple of His high. You are His beloved in the beloved, and you're accepted by Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask You this morning, if there is anybody under the sound of my voice that has harbored hurt, that has been wounded by the stab of a sword, or a or has felt that terrain of arrows rain down on their lives through careless words. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to come with the Word of God like oil, healing, like balm, soothing, cleaning, so that we might know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Right now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to go to work right now across this place, Holy Spirit, 
Let no word of man, let no word of man hold us back any longer. Set us free. Oh, liberate us, Holy Spirit, and let us know the power of life in your word, Jesus Christ. In him we live. In him we move. In him, Jesus, we have our being. If some of us have lost our purpose today, Lord, and we're immersing ourselves feverishly in experiences, trying to find fullness of life, Lord, if some of us have lost our purpose today, trying to gain enjoyment by just amassing material things, oh God, we pray again that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who Christ Jesus is. I pray this over your people in the mighty name of Jesus people who have not been bought with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus that is imperishable. And we thank you for it. And all God's people said, amen. Now, why don't you stand up and give a shout of praise? We're going to sing before we go, but come on, let's give a shout of praise for the living Word of God. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ to us. Amen. God bless you.